The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 20 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So what's up with you, Peter? Well, uh, I, I did a thing, um, or, or <laughs> rather, I, I did a thing uh, actually more than a month ago, and, and then finally the, the Swedish Postal Service did their thing. Uh, so I, I, I bought a dagger. I, I had to, because it was a <laughs> dagger. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm expanding my my collection so I can kind of have one one suitable uh, dagger or knife for each century that I have uh, that, that I have a costume for it or that I have clothes for, uh, and and this is again this is all on the postal service but but i i ordered uh, it in in late april because there was a thing that were uh, me and my girlfriend and some friends were doing in in early may and i thought yeah it shouldn't be a problem uh, but then brexit had taken full effect so uh, i i could track the uh, the shipment from from england to sweden it just took a couple of days and then it it sat in the uh, Postal Service Customs uh, Office for for more than a month. Uh, do you have uh, do you have Postnor in Sweden? Yeah, we do. We have the yeah. So so, so <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, but it's it's a uh, well the, the style of dagger uh, was around from from uh, basically the eleventh uh, century for for quite a few hundred years. Uh, but the, this particular one is is based on uh, a fourteenth century knife. Uh, and and it's n- fairly long and narrow, and you can really tell that chainmail was was popular when this was around because it's it's kind of you, you want to poke someone in in the armpits or in between the rings of a, and and split the rings of a of a chainmail. Mm. Uh, but it's it's a nice one. I I like it. I'm I'm gonna do some stuff to the sheath later on when I get some time. Ah, cool. Uh, I got my uh, my uh, mind control chip implanted yesterday. My uh, my DNA altering um, injection. Uh, so far, I don't have any five G reception in my head, and uh, I. Well, I, uh, I think your connection to the on the computer is that perhaps that's why it's so great now. <laughs> that might be it. I don't feel my DNA changing, but I, I do have a very, very sore sort of shoulder, upper arm on my left. Um, but that was that was good. So uh, I have a, I have another one scheduled in like five weeks or so, and then I'm going to be fully vaccinated, which is really, really nice. Yeah, um, finally. Now, if we were following the publication schedule, today's book should have been Blood and Silk. However, uh, that book is a companion book to Kindred of the East, and it details uh, Asia in 1197. It's not actually a source book for, for Dark Ages. So when you when you look into the book, it, it references Kindred of the East, and it has a, a weapons table for... Um, for weapons of the of the time period, which overlaps very much with Dark Ages, and I have played Kindred of the East once, running a one shot. I don't know if you've 
even ever read it or played it? I no, I haven't read it. Um, I I think I've read some of one of the or, or some of the source books for for modern knights when when the Kuwajin uh, invade the west coast of the U.S. But that's that's about it. Yeah, so uh, it's it's like we we didn't we didn't really think that we were going to be qualified to talk about that um, from from the uh, sort of the the gaming perspective since we don't mm-hmm. know the setting that it's it's based on. However, we're still having a bit of an Eastern theme as today's book is Wind from the East, written by James Keeley and developed by Philip Abul. Uh, so put on the Who band and let's talk about Mongols. Uh, as always, we start with the cover and. Well, it's it's not as bad as Wolves of the Door, at least. Well, I don't know really because, like, th- this is I I had a bad feeling when I saw this this cover uh, for the rest of the book, and unfortunately, the rest of the book isn't as bad. But, like, seriously, these things look more like like goblins or or orcs from. They, they actually they, the the one in the center actually reminds me of some of the orcs from the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings movies from the, yeah. from the 1970s and so so you have a very stereotypical or I'm, I'm it's it's racist I'm just gonna say it it's a very racist portrayal of, of uh, Mongols uh, in the artwork of, of this particular and some of the other um, some of the other illustrations of this book and and it's it's not a good thing. Especially when when the text like the uh, not not the kind of in character how did did people back then feel about uh, the the Mongolian invaders, but but rather how the the authors talk about the Mongols as as barbarians. Yeah. Uh, so so it's very problematic, and um, I I could see in a way if if they the point was kind of trying to make. Uh, try, trying to illustrate how just how demonic and, and otherly uh, the people of the time uh, thought that that the Mongol invaders were, uh, but then I, I I would really have preferred it if they would have done it in the style of the artwork of the time period. Exactly. We, yeah. We we've had something similar in in other books when you had to kind of like. Bayo tapestry kind of illustrations, but with vampires and and other supernatural beasts instead. And if they would have done it in in that way, I I would have accepted it. But just just the way it is, because there's a lot of them. There's one in on page, uh, let's see, I think it's on page sixty five or sixty six, uh, where you have. Uh, what is supposed to be, uh, I assume, a, a Mongol warrior chasing a, a Christian? Yeah, uh, that's and, uh, whoa. Yeah, and and to be fair, the, the Christian also kind of looks, I don't know, a, a bit inhuman because it it looks he just looks rather strange. But you can tell he's a Christian because he's wearing a cross. But but the, the Mongol who chases him uh, has horns and spikes growing out of his arms and and. He he looks like a bad death metal cover, and his horse seems to be on fire and has a flaming skull on its chest and and everything. So so it's like this isn't even Warhammer <laughs> barbarian chaos warrior artwork. It's bad Warhammer chaos barbarian artwork. 
Yeah, and this is a this is a really good example because this is one of those um, full page pieces yeah. that precede the chapters, and they're all in the same style of the cover, and they are they are they range from like this really really bad and to just like not very very good. The the next one on page eighty six again you had this these I mean sure they're vampires but but there's they're still portrayed as demonic. Um, so it, it just, it doesn't fit, like you said, it would have been, it would have been at least tolerable if they'd been painted in a medieval style, but they're not, they're in a very modern sort of, of sword and, sword and sorcery fantasy style. You could imagine them as being, as being enemies of Conan. Yeah, quite, almost quite literally, or, or basically any, any kind of, like, fantasy-possessed demon kind of stuff, so, so yeah, that's, that, that's the cover and and some of the other illustrations yeah but the the smaller pictures inside i think are really good um not only like from a technical standpoint but i i do think they they do uh, justice to the to the mongols uh i'm i'm no expert on mongol weapons and armor but what is portrayed seems right you have curved swords and the mongols did have curved swords mm. at this time it's not like their tendency to portray anyone from the Middle East with curved swords at a time where straight swords were just as, if not more, uh, common. And and they're slender, except for where it is, is yeah, page 32. You once again have those people with these insane, broad-bladed curved swords that didn't really exist at the time. Yeah. Uh, you have small metal shields, you have recurved bows, you have spears, uh, not lances, which is also good, but, but spears. So the Mongols seem to be Current uh, equipped uh, w- uh, in a way that was correct for the for the time, um, and then but on page twenty seven, uh, you have what I assume to be some Japanese people, um, and I'm not really uh, an expert on Japanese weapons and armor, but what they are wearing and what they're using seems to be a couple of centuries too early. Yeah, but, I, I'd say that as well, actually. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I I I really like the interior art. That's not these full page. Um, chapter dividers because they're bad. The rest of it, I think, is good. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That, that there are quite a few uh, actually really nice uh, illustrations. Uh, if nothing else, quite a few people wearing hats, which is a good thing if you're out on the steps. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but oh, uh, th- there are two things that that kind of bug me. One is that one of the example characters uh, is carrying a dagger stuck in his in his cloth belt or sash or whatever it's supposed to be so every time he draws that or it's not a dagger it's a knife but but still every time he draws that knife he's he's gonna cut his sash and that's kind of <laughs> annoying uh, the, the second is that even among these um these kind of more more uh, um historically accurate and and more properly um portrayed uh, illustrations you you still have kind of the uh, Conan-esque uh, uh, kind of barbarian style that that you have uh, very muscly uh, people running around with uh, with their shirts off, um, <laughs> yeah. and and the thing is that first of all that that kind of massive muscular build isn't really what you get if if you live on the steppes uh, in, uh, in the way that that Mongols did. You you will get a, a much more kind of Shorter, stockier, more sinewy, kind of Bruce Lee. Uh, yeah, lean uh, and wiry. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, 
and and that's that's the other thing and or that's the one thing and and the other thing is that okay if you're a vampire but if you're a human you wouldn't really run around in on on the steps or in the desert with your clothes off because yeah it, it gets hot but clothes protect from that as well and if we look at at um, uh, people living in the desert they often wear quite uh, quite a lot of clothes to protect them like the the tuaregs they uh, the men cover up completely uh, you you have um, the bedouins uh, in, uh, in and and in the middle east and stuff like uh, people like that you you cover up because you don't want uh, if if nothing else, if there's a sandstorm, you don't want sand ev- everywhere because we all know that sand is coarse and it gets everywhere. Uh, <laughs> so so I I really do like the fact that they have some quite cool clothes, but but keep them on because there's there's no reason to to run around without them. You you're just gonna get cold and and scuffed up from the sun. Or or you're going to get a uh, severe sunburn, uh, yeah, which is yeah. if, also if a very bad human, idea. Yeah. Uh, exactly. It can get quite cold in the desert as well, so you you need those fur hats. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they do have some some very very nice uh, fur hats. Um, mm. So that that at least is is nice. Yeah. Um, so before the intro story, we have a full page uh, picture. Once again, one of those uh, weird ones that that depict them as as almost inhuman barbarians. And then uh, we have a real-world message sent to the king of Hungary from Batu Khan in 1240, yeah. which I think really gives a great insight to, to how the Mongols were, where, where it's basically, uh, yeah, you live in cities, we don't, you can't run, we're coming to get you. Yeah. Um, and you have a, a, a fair amount of letters um, preserved between various Christian rulers and the Mongols, including one where the the Khan of the time declared himself to be the scourge of God, and he was coming to bring God's vengeance, which is a pretty badass boast, actually. That's and, a very badass boast. And they they believed him. <laughs> so the intro story itself, uh, it's uh, only two and a half pages, and I really really liked it. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's from the. Uh, from from the perspective of uh, of of one of these uh, Mongolian uh, vampires, the one of the Anda, and how he's infiltrating a city and uh, getting something to eat, and and then basically setting fire to the entire city, which is kind <laughs> of like, <laughs> okay, that's a thing. That you, you just did that. That's that's something that you can do, obviously. Um, but but yeah, it's it's a cool one, and and I like the fact that he actually takes care of his horse and that he he pays well for it. Um, but but what I I really like about this uh, is is something that that illustrates um, uh, how uh, or or um, how how different cities is uh, or are from um, from today. And and that is the fact that he he mentions um, he he has protein so he can sleep in the dirt obviously, uh, and he he sleeps uh, in just in in the stables uh, on on the ground in the stables, uh, and if if we think about it, a lot of cities back then didn't have paved streets or or and houses didn't have uh, wooden or stone floors. You, you yeah. just had dirt floors. So there would uh, there would be quite a uh, a lot more uh, places where where gangrels could uh, could hide for the day, uh, or anyone with protein. So so I, I just thought that was a nice little touch from 
uh, from the authors there. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of um, of, of like little things, including him thinking that the the vampires living in a city they uh, have a bit of an advantage because the city walls are going to um, to give them that few more instances before the sun manages yeah. to hit them. Uh, and then it goes on to say, so they get a bit more time to find a, a patch of ground that they can sleep in, mm. showing that this gangrel has only ever been around other gangrel vampires and thus he obviously believes that well every vampire must sleep in the ground because that's what we do um so it's 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 a really nice little touch so this was just this is one of in my opinion one of the best intro stories they've had in these books because it focuses on a vampire and it really shows the mentality and culture of that vampire um so it's it's just really good um chapter one is all about uh, sorry, the intro. Ah, we don't get to chapter one yet. Mm-hmm. The intro is pretty standard, but it does contain two really important things. First of all, you have a quick primer on Kindred of the East, sort of the the how how they differ from the Canaanites portrayed in in the original vampire, and then you have a lexicon of Mongol terms. So with these two things and the rest of the intro, I think it's it's a really really solid intro. It gives you a good idea of the book, and and these two things are. Uh, are really good to have. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, at least if you're going to uh, to play uh, the the non canine vampires as a single of these. Personally, I, I probably would just uh, make everything uh, may or make make all the vampires uh, canines just for the yeah. simplicity and and because it it gets just to. I don't know. It, it it becomes too much, and uh, and like we mentioned before, like there's there's nothing really in the uh, vampiric mythos that doesn't say uh, or prevents that a few I don't know fifth, fourth or fifth generation vampires uh, just leaves the uh, the first series and and go east and and stay there for some time, and it only takes one to to start a whole new. Um, I don't know civilization or, or bunch of vampires in the east. Yeah. Uh, so you you can easily have um, perhaps not from old clans, uh, especially not in the Tremere, but but you you could have a, a fair chunk of of the regular clans in uh, in Asia and, and um, the Middle East and, and even farther away if you wanted to. Yeah, uh, and I heard podcast dog in the in the background. Might yes, might have something to add. Yeah. <laughs> um, so chapter one. Uh, now we get to it. Is mm. is all about the empire created by uh, Genghis Khan. It takes the history of the Mongols up past the eleven ninety seven date of this chapter. Uh, sorry, of this edition of Empire: The Dark Ages. And I and I really like that they do that because obviously the default setting of uh, Vampire the Dark Ages is Europe, especially Western Europe, and Europe doesn't get touched by the Mongols until after 1197. Uh, so it makes sense that they take it up to the point where Western Europe or uh, at least Central Europe gets hit by the Mongols. Mm. Um, there's also a section on vampires among the Mongols. We get more about that in the next chapter, but they, they do give a mention. Uh, there's a section on various tribes because the Mongols aren't just one tribe. They are 
uh, a number of different tribes that have banded together or been, in some cases, uh, forced to join the, the mm-hmm. Mongol horde. Uh, you get something on religion, culture, equipment, and the like. It's it's what you would expect as sort of a primer on Mongols of this time. Um, but if we start with the mortal stuff, I would say that I'm really impressed because you get a very good sense of everything related to the Mongols, their culture, their equipment, religion, and beliefs, daily life, and so on. And the timeline is really good for... Um, long-running chronicles in areas that will be impacted by the Mongols so that you get an idea of what happens and when. If you want to run a chronicle set among the Mongols, uh, you'd obviously have to do a, a bit more research, but I mean that's to, expect, to be expected. You don't expect this book to have everything. Uh, it would just be too long. If you just want to run uh, a one-shot among the Mongols or you want to use them as antagonists, for example, in, um, in our Transylvania chronicles game we the last time we played we had the mongol invasion um you know this book is is really all that you need i i would say yeah i i agree i agree there there are a few things that i thought was kind of weird like for example it it states uh, right out that the mongols uh, doesn't have uh, they they don't have um, any kind of alphabet or, or written language but we we've, we've had some of the letters that the, the Mongols wrote to, to Western rulers in, in this very book. Uh, and, and they did have um, a, a written language. Uh, and I can assume that, that literacy was probably not that common. No, they were more likely to, when they conquered a people, find out, anyone here who can read and write? Anyone who can read and write? You can read and write? Congratulations, you're now the scribe to the Khan. Yeah, something like that. But but again, they they had their own um, their own alphabet uh, in in scripture, and and the the book that they are quoting, the the secret history of the Mongols, is an actual book. Uh, and I don't know if it's the only, but it's one of the few sources from the time period of Genghis Khan that we actually have. Mm. Uh, so so that's that's just a bit weird. Um, and then there was something else. Yeah, there's. There's also uh, when it comes to religion, and I I don't know much, or rather I would say that I would I know uh, quite little about uh, Mongol um, religion, but they they mention uh, basically the the sky daddy uh, Tengri and the uh, and the kind of mother earth uh, goddess um, Itugen. Uh, yeah. But from uh, I, I looked them up, but from what I could tell, the the Itugen is is more of a Turkish. Uh, basically, the Turkish tribes had the same idea, and uh, Ej I think it's pronounced Eje uh, was more the Mongol one. And I, I don't know if, if they if I'm confusing it or or the uh, authors confused it, but there seems to be some kind of difference. Uh, I couldn't really figure it out. Uh, if if that's something that you as a player or a storyteller uh, think is something you want to expand on, then then perhaps you would need to do a bit more research. Yeah, um, but uh, I mean, it's it's one of the things that that can be somewhat difficult to um, <laughs> to to research. One of the things that that really uh, I think um, could could or must be. Um, sort of emphasized is just how incredibly screwed Europe was Um, because I mean the Mongols just steamrolled them Uh, and and one of the things that 
that really did the Europeans in was was being too conservative because at this point, you know, European fighting was you had your knights, heavy cavalry, they did uh, the the initial impact and and did a whole lot of damage, and then you had mass blocks of of infantry that uh-huh. that did a lot of the the other fighting, um, and that just wasn't set up to handle the Mongol invasion. The yeah. Mongols were were really fast moving and. Sure, they they had trouble dealing with um, with walled cities, mm. but in eleven ninety seven, a lot of cities didn't have walls. They had earthen ramparts. They might have a wooden palisade, and as we all know, wood burns. Um, yeah. So, but and and what the Mongols did was they invested a city. They had enough people that they could surround a city and starve you out. And a lot of times when they took cities, it was because somebody inside opened the gates for them. And Europe just, we got so steamrolled. I mean, there wasn't really any major victories of European powers against the Mongols because the the Europeans just refused to change tactics. They insisted on using their heavy cavalry backed up by infantry. Whereas if they'd gone back to, say, Roman tactics of infantry with big shields, they would be able to stand yeah. and take the, the archery fire until the Mongols run out of uh, ran out of arrows, and it's I think it's rather telling that the first big loss that the Mongols had in the West was against um, oh why can't I remember his name down in um, down in Syria and Egypt, uh, but one of the uh, the Mamluk uh, leaders. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I don't remember either. <laughs> but yeah, it's you 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 do make a fair point. Uh, it, it would have been interesting to see. Uh, when, when they would, if they would have gotten uh, further to the west, when you have the the big forests in in Germany and and places like that, where where cavalry isn't really that useful, and yeah, uh, but but yeah, um, the there were and and there were many reasons why why they steamrolled mm. the west. You they also had a lot more people. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and there was quite a lot of of um, conflict between the the different uh, European nations on on like. Yeah, but we don't want to help you because you invaded us last year. So up yeah. north and and stuff like that. But but yeah, it's it's quite interesting to see uh, how uh, exactly how how things would work out if, if uh, things were just a little bit different. Uh, yeah. And and what I what I do like about when they talk about warfare is that, uh, for example, the. Uh, the the tactics of of uh, uh, Subutai, which is one of of the like the really successful generals. Uh, yeah. There, there's one example where where he he basically uh, leads uh, he he uh, and the Mongol forces has, has taken a bridge, uh, and then the Western forces. I think it's the Hungarians uh, that is facing. They they're like, oh, we we need to take the bridge to uh, fight off the, the Mongols, and and they do, and they start crossing over. Um, but uh, then, from the basically from their flank, uh, the rest of the Mongol army attacks. So they they basically just been outflanked, and and this is straight out of history. This is what uh, what Subutai did. Yeah, um, and and so they they've done the research there, and and also the way that um, that they describe that when when Mongols start taking cities in a new kingdom. Uh, the first few cities, they, they kind of give this, uh, well, surrender or die option. Uh, and uh, if, if people uh, put up a fight, then 
uh, eventually, because that's what happened. The, the Mongols would just uh, pillage the city and, and burn everything down. But very cleverly, they would allow a lot of refugees to run yeah. away <laughs> and spread the word. So when they got to the next city, it would probably be a lot easier. And, and it was. And it had more mouths to feed if they yeah, took in yeah, the refugees. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so there are... Of course, in, you know, there, uh, in, in many, many reasons to do that. Yeah. Uh, and my wife just came in and reminded me that the name of the Mamluk leader who defeated the Mongols was Baibas, um, yeah. who was uh, himself a great general. But yeah, Subutai was a, uh, an amazing general. Uh, to show just how good he was, uh, he ended up being so fat that he couldn't ride. They, he had, they had to cart him around in a cart, and he was still allowed to be a part of the Mongol horde, even though he couldn't sit on a horse because he was that good of of a general and tactician, um, which is is kind of impressive, really. Um, but yeah, my, my wife had a rather interesting uh, comment when she was doing research about the Mongols for our Transylvania game. She said that um, it's probably a really, really good thing for Europe that... A, a mark of standing and wealth among the Mongols was that you were rich enough to become an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. basically a lot of their really good leaders drank themselves into an early grave. Yeah. And that's one of the things that saved Europe, which yeah, I they, think is an interesting take on Yeah, and, and they mention that in, in the book as well, that a lot of the Mongol leaders uh, kind of succumbed to, to gluttony and, uh, uh, and alcoholism. Uh, yeah. So yay uh, for that. I guess I don't know. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the supernatural. Uh, I mean, since this is a vampire book, it obviously uh, talks most about vampires. But in this chapter, it does mention the eastern vampires called the Quajin. Though at this point, uh, I think they call them the One Quay or something like that. Once again, it's not something that we know that much about, or at least mm -hmm. I don't, and I, you no. mentioned you haven't read it either. Um, they also mentioned uh, shapeshifters, as well as books where you can get more information. Mm -hmm. As for vampires, like I said, the next chapter does go into more detail, but this chapter introduces the Anda Gangrel, uh, and they are a Gangrel bloodline, though they're not really all that different from the baseline Gangrel. Um, we get their creation myth, which is obviously quite different from the standard Canite one, since when when this bloodline was formed, they'd never heard about Cain. Um, and I think the presentation in this chapter is very well done. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, what I like about uh, this... Hello, Dogo. Uh, <laughs> what I like about this is that uh, they, they've they managed to uh, incorporate the, the supernatural history with, with, the, with actual history in, in quite a good way. It's not... They they don't say that oh this and this person was was a vampire or anything like that or that this uh, this is because of, of vampires uh, this is because of vampires doing doing stuff but they kind of hint that it could have been like for example the fact that Genghis uh, Genghis Khan died so suddenly so that uh, Subutai had to basically uh, stop conquering Western Europe and. And going back uh, east to pay his respects, they uh, they, they mention that it's uh, that that some vampires think it's it's a real coincidence that that happened just before the Mongols would uh, would uh, uh, attack Vienna, where the Tremere are, are hanging out. Uh, so <laughs> they probably had something to do with it, or or it could have been the Asamites because the uh, a lot of the areas where the Asamites are strong were were conquered by. Um, 
by the vampires. So, um, so, so I, I really like how they manage to um, n- not m- m- be, make everything be because of vampires. But, but perhaps if you want to, I don't know. Does it matter? It's it's a good story. Uh, it it could be a rumor in your game uh, if if you want it to be. Uh, but the the book doesn't say that. Yeah, Genghis Khan was a fourth generation, whatever, or something. Like that, <laughs> yeah, which, which I and I mean, it. yeah, and and also, um, it it's uh, the way it's set up makes a lot of sense for uh, the world of of darkness because when the Mongols overrun Europe, if if you know if if the Andagangles were quote unquote controlling the Mongols in in the way that in a lot of places you have in Europe you have vampires who are able to direct ve- uh, various groups of mortals, mm. then all you'd need was for the powerful vampires of Europe to just go and and make a deal with the Andagangle or or use powers to control them. But in this case, it's like the Andagangle; they're riding along with the horde. Yeah. But they're the the ones guiding them. So if if you go out with the um, the sort of standard European mindset and say, hey there, vampires of the Mongol horde, uh, how about we figure out something? They're going to go, well, well, we we don't have any control over them. Yeah, we, you, what they're you doing... talk, talk with the fat guy in the tent over there. He's probably yeah. drunk, but you can always ask. <laughs> yeah, and so it's, it, it's a situation where you can't just have the vampires of the West go, oh, well, we're going to deal with whatever vampires are in this in this um, horde, and then uh, that's that's going to solve all our problems. And they really do create a lot of problems. I mean, this the, the Mongols are great for, for story seeds if you're playing in an area where they go through. Like, we had an entire session just dealing with the one year that the Mongols invaded Transylvania, mm. and all the huge ass problems that created for us and the next session is, is partly going to be dealing with the fallout from that yeah. because it was a, a big one um so chapter two is a fairly short chapter detailing vampires both western and eastern among the mongols it looks at how each of the uh, looks at each of the clans and how they could interact with the mongol horde and uh, some of the bloodlines um and they then it gives us a write-up of uh, both the uh, Andagangrel, who we have mentioned, and then the Asian salubri called the Wuzao. There's also a section on something called the Black Tortoise Court, which relates to the Kindred of the East, and I can't comment much on this since it's been too long since I read Kindred of the East. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it does have a really cool description of uh, what is it called? The Hell of Barb Chains or something like that, which is, is kind of, of fun, but it's it's something you can use if you want to use Kindred of the East, otherwise... You know, it's it's not of any use, but at the same time, since Kindred of the East was out at the time, I can understand why they include it. Uh, and I, I would say that I generally like this chapter. It gives a nice overview and lots of ideas. Yeah. And I like the presentation of the Anda. They resisted making them, you know, really special or different. They're just gangrel with a weaker version of the standard gangrel floor and then another weakness added to it. So it's... it's I mean, you can even go so far as to say... They're not a bloodline. They're just a, a tiny variation on the yeah. Gangles. All yeah. in all, I think they did good here. Yeah, I I did so as well, uh, except for the fact that I really don't have any use for the for for the the Black Tortoise Court because it's apparently one of five other courts, and we do get some information on those as well. But again, it's it's like 
you're you're being given the the previously on section of a TV series, and and then you're expected to to kind of know what the whole show is about. Uh, <laughs> but but I've I've been thinking about the uh, the Anda because uh, they're. Uh, they they have like you said they, they have the standard um, or a weaker version of, of the standard gangrel uh, animalistic feature weakness, uh, but then the other uh, weakness they have is that they can't stay for more than three nights in the same what is it like a one mile uh, area? They, yeah, they, something they, like they, that. They kind of have the the, the roving blood. They they really want to to travel around and go from place to place, and and I was just thinking that. That would be a really cool and suitable clan weakness for for Ravnos. Instead and of, uh, they have that in uh, fifth edition. That's that's oh, the clan flaw in fifth yeah. edition. <laughs> cool. So someone read my mind and stole my idea before I got it. But no, but but seriously, because it's um, not only do you get away with the incredibly problematic uh, thing that that they have uh, now, but you you also kind of have a justification. Why, uh, why, why the Ravnos uh, are mistrusted? Because back in the days, you you really seldom met uh, strangers. You you lived at least if you were a normal human person, you would basically live in the same kind of area for most of your life. You you might go on a pilgrimage, uh, and even if you did, you probably wouldn't go really far. You might go to war, perhaps once in your lifetime. Uh, and mm. and you might and or you would go to neighboring villages for for fairs and and marrying someone who wasn't your cousin. Uh, so <laughs> so if if you have this group of people who come traveling around, and this is one of the reasons why why Romani people and other travelers uh, were kind of uh, prejudiced against, is is just because the fact that there were there were strangers, there were someone from the outside, uh, and so this if if. Ravnos as a clan had this weakness. It would justify why why they would uh, why people would think about them the way they did. Um, so so I don't know. I, I might steal that. It seems like yeah, Five uh, E uh, did something good for once. From what <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, it it and it it's you know it, it's not much of a flaw for someone who follows along with uh, Mongols, but at the same time, if you're laying siege to an area, then you're still going to have to move out of the area at some point. So yeah. it, it still works as a flaw. Um, so uh, chapter three mm. is your merits and flaws, discipline powers, a new road, as well as some powers for the kindred of the East. There's a discussion of the Antlergangrel learning disciplines outside their clan discipline which I think is interesting because, as it says, they don't really encounter other vampires than Andagangle. So, so it's it's one that that sort of says, okay, well, if you want to enforce that, you can say that they can only really learn the other physical disciplines without a, a tutor, and they have to find some vampire for it, uh, some other vampire for it. It's it's up to the individual storyteller what they want to do with that. Um, the combo disciplines are all, in my opinion, really good and they make sense, especially yep. there's a power that allows a vampire to take another with them when they earth meld. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, they had to have that considering that they are nomads. Because if you only just embrace someone, not going to be able to earth meld just yet, but they still need shelter. So, so 
you know that one had to had to be there and then there's also some systems uh, for hunting and mounted warfare and advice on storytelling and you know it's a short chapter but i think it delivers some good stuff yeah i i really like the um the the vampiric powers and and the combination powers uh and the one you mentioned where you can earth melt with with another creature uh it's um uh, it says that it's it's often used for uh, for for bringing you your horse uh, down with you so that you can basically hide uh, because if if you hide but the horse isn't you you're still gonna be uh, revealed by the fact that there's a horse being tied <laughs> to this particular tree um, and and as they say that uh, unlucky is the mortal who sees a mountain mongol charge out of the very earth at the dusk which is just yeah. a, a cool image. Um, yeah, exactly. I thought of the same thing, like the image of just this horse and rider mm. bursting out of the soil. That is that's that's scary and cool. Yeah. yeah, and and what I really like about these powers is that uh they're they're quite low level. I think the the highest one you need is uh, discipline power or discipline level you need is is protein three. Yeah. <coughs> so it's it's not like these this this really um, like li- only only the really um, old and, and powerful vampires can have, um, and they're also quite cheap. So so it's it's actually something that you you will consider getting uh, because it might not might not be useful all the time, but it's it's useful often enough to be worth spending the experience points on. Yeah, and it makes sense that the that the Anda have developed like these very practical powers mm. because they they have to be very very pragmatic and practical, living or since they're vampires, not yeah. living <laughs> the way they do. So so they kind of they have to do this. Yeah, and and it goes with with kind of the the whole uh, Mongol way of life of, of being nomads, nomads and and uh, traveling on and. And that's a theme that I think they have uh, captured really well in this book. That that you have the, um, you, you, like you said, the the, the very pragmatic uh, discipline powers, uh, kind of mirroring the the very pragmatic uh, uh, lifestyle and and uh, uh, way of warfare that the Mongols had, uh, and the the way that your your travel lust or wanderlust is is your weakness for for the Anda. Uh, which is also I, I really love. The, uh, there's in in the section where it describes how uh, the the Western vampires kind of react to to the invading uh, Mongols. Uh, you you have uh, an example of of uh, Tsimichi, uh who embrace invading Mongol warlords because that means that they can no longer travel around because they have to sleep in their native dirt. So it's it's yeah. kind of like a big fuck you to those to the people who invaded you and 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 it's in in so many ways it's it's such a simich thing to do uh not because you could probably just kill them or do something with it but no 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 i'm gonna take away the very thing that that you love the most and and that is running around on the steps uh yeah. with your with your uh with your ponies and and your your buddies uh, so no, you you you're gonna be stuck here, which is just a, a vicious and evil and awesome thing to do. Yeah. Now the um, the the Eastern Salubri, I think they feel a little bit out of place in this book. I I like them because obviously you have this 
story of um, of Saulot going to the east mm. and and spending time there. So it makes sense that you get a presentation of the uh, um, of the salubri that he um, that he created in the east and sort of their their line. But I don't know what book they they, they should have put them in. But I think this book they don't really have that much to do with Mongols. Yeah, I I agree. It's they're they're kind of out of place, but place. But then again, Salubri is is kind of almost out of place. So um, I I don't know. It's yeah, I'm struggling as well to, to trying to figure out where they would have fit it in better. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah. this this book really is about the East meeting the West because the Mongols coming from the East and invading the West. So so it it it's it is the the book. Up until now, that makes the most sense to have them in. In in later uh, editions of the game, we get we get uh, them as well. So it's just I just wanted to mention that they mm. they feel a bit out of place. But fortunately, they don't really spend that much um, word count on them. So it's not like they're taking up a huge amount of uh, of space that could be spent on something better. Yeah, this is this is very much the kind of clan book and uh, in a way because it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's they're, they're so connected uh, the the two of them. Um, yeah, so we end with uh, with an appendix where you have the standard templates, and then you have some NPCs, including a neonate neonate named Ajav. Uh, and if you're up on your modern day vampire lore, you'll know of Jalan Ajav, uh, a gangrel in the Sabbath Black Hand, and actually one of the characters on my list of annoying or poorly uh, made NPCs. <laughs> but here he's he's presented as a a neonate. Uh, anyway, you know, I don't think there's anything s- sort of super special here. Just, just good stuff to use in your games with, with some some nice NPCs you can plug in and some templates for you to uh, to use as inspiration for building characters. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's I I don't really have any opinion on on the uh, the NPCs. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah yeah I I don't. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this book is only 96 pages long, um, as evidenced by the fact that we've gone through it fairly quickly. Mm. Uh, but I think it really packs a lot of information into those 96 pages. And most of that is historical information talking about the history and coming history of the Mongols as well as their culture. I have nothing to complain about here, and I really like uh, how they spend a lot of pages giving us all of this historical information um, so the history part gets thumbs up for me. I mean, this is this is all good stuff and very inspiring. Yeah, I, I agree. Except for for like the tiny things that, like with the religion, which I I, I might be wrong on that one. But the the one the part about uh, Mongols not having a, a, a scriptured language kind of annoyed me. But but overall, it's it's a really good, uh, for, at least from what I can tell from from a historical perspective. Yeah, as a game resource, uh, well, I, I don't see myself running a game set among the Mongols, but obviously, if you want to, you need this book. Uh, due to their clan flaw, it's going to be hard to play an Ender Gangrel, but in any campaign that features constant or near constant travel, they'll work. It's just that they're so tied in with the Mongols that I, I have trouble coming up with an idea of playing an Ender Gangrel in a chronicle that isn't 
about the Mongols, but I'm, I'm sure you know that there are options if, if you want to do that. If you're playing a campaign that runs through the Mongol timeline in a place the Mongols reach, then this book is definitely worth it to give you an idea of what people will be up against, both mortals and vampires. So as a game resource, uh, I think this is this is really good if, you know, if either if you're a completionist, you want to have this book, but but if, if you're playing in, in, uh, in any way in a place, a time that will be touched by the Mongols, I think it's good. Otherwise, you don't really need it. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually have quite a lot to say about this as a gaming resource, because uh, like you said, first of all, if, if you're not going to do anything about this or, or it's not going to touch your, your chronicle, then you can skip this. Uh, but if if you want to if you want to include uh, the Mongol invasion and, and it kind of says in the beginning that that this is kind of one of those bright burning candles books where if if you do uh, a Mongol campaign you know that you're gonna have about 150 years because that's uh, that's the extent of, of the Mongol Empire and and after that um, most of it was gone and and a few hundred years later it was definitely gone so. Uh, so it, it could be interesting to do like uh, a Mongol uh, campaign, perhaps that that you uh, you are a bunch of of Anda uh, traveling with the perhaps the Golden Horde or something like that, and and you get the job to scout out uh, invading Moscow or or wherever they they went. Uh, so see, so I do think there there are quite some uh, some opportunities for for instance uh, interesting gameplay. Um, mm. Especially, they they also mention uh, in in the introduction in kind of the the mortal section, uh, they mentioned Prester John, which uh, I oh yeah, we talked about uh, him, which was a myth about uh, this this great uh, Eastern Christian empire far away, and and it's been used for everything from from India to Ethiopia to uh, every everywhere else that it's it's just this mythical uh, land and. Uh, I think that that uh, that the Crusaders actually kind of try to find it and, and try to write letters to uh, to the rulers uh, to to kind of help out when when the Muslims were trying to take Jerusalem back. Uh, yeah. And, and again. Oh, if you want, if you want a very very funny read, try looking up the Prester John letter because there was a letter circulating oh, yeah. in medieval Europe that was purportedly written by Prester John, yeah. which is just basically one big brag about how awesomely cool yeah. his country is yeah. um so so it's it's a fun read and it's an interesting insight into what people of the day believed and and when the mongols came a lot of people were saying well they must they must be the barrier between our lands mm. and the lands of prester john so you could also have like exceedingly christian vampires trying to travel backwards yeah, uh, with it, the horde yeah uh, for for example, and and again, you could have this if if you have if you go with the whole that there there were some Canaanites going uh, going east before uh, before all this, uh, you you could still have uh, the the regular clans running around in uh, in Asia and, and doing everything that the, the Kuajin uh, are doing in in the world of darkness. Uh, and again, that's probably how how I would run it. Um, and and another thing like. Where, where you could use it, and you kind of mentioned that you did it, this in your Transylvania game, is is to use it as a source book for basically an antagonist. 
And I'm just thinking back to our previous book uh, about the Ashen Knights, uh, that you, you could have, um, you, you could probably have a, a pretty cool campaign or chronicle uh, about how a knightly order from, from Western Europe or from Europe uh, has to defend against the, the Mongol hordes or perhaps to go on a mission, on a, di- a diplomatic mission to, uh, to meet with perhaps not Genghis Khan, but one of the Khans or, or perhaps a vampiric Khan that, that they need to uh, th- that they need to deal with, um, and and then then I had my final kind of idea, and I I would like to hear your opinions on it. Um, and again, it's it's a way to make sure that the that the vampires are are Canaanites and not uh, Eastern uh, Kuwajin. And I'm thinking that in instead of uh, making the Anda uh, a clan or a bloodline, I'm thinking that it could be kind of cool if uh, if it was more like a sect, like like the uh, Sabbath or the Camarilla. Uh, mm. So you you have uh, so so basically the Anda um, isn't a clan. It's it's the vampires who follow the Mongol way of life, and and they kind of put that first uh, because it's it's described that the way that the Anda embrace um, uh, new uh, members is that they, they have a meeting and then they they discuss if this mortal is uh, worthy of, of being embraced uh, and if they say yes uh, they send out people to kidnap him from his tent and, and bring him uh, far away uh, so that his screams isn't heard by by his family uh, and then he's embraced and and I'm thinking that well you, you need political schemers and you need artists and you need scouts and and whatever even in the mongol armies so so it wouldn't be out of place if if the anda was more like a sect and and that's there you had um Bruja and and uh, ventru and toriador and, and all of the other clans as well um, and that would also kind of make it easier to incorporate in in a standard um vampire game that's that you yeah. figure out that yeah, the, we are distant relatives, but it's it's uh, we we still have something in common with because we're both went true. We, we perhaps call each other, uh, we call ourselves something different because we're part of the Anda, uh, but we we still have obvious connections to the Western Ventru. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think that's a a really good take on it because. I mean, if if people are fans of the the Quajin and all that, and and want to involve those, then then they can do it. But I think, for my part, I want to involve as much Western vampires mm. as possible because it's what I know. Um, obviously, there's the whole idea of of the unknown being being interesting for um, f- for your players. But it, it it for me, it's 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 just easier to use what I know. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and and especially we and we talked about this quite a lot before. That that the most uh, uncommon creature in in the world of darkness is just a normal human, uh, and <laughs> and if we can remove um, or or if we can replace rather the the Kuajin with uh, with standard vampires, then it just makes everything so much easier. You you don't have to figure out what these. Uh, different powers are that that uh, the Kuajin have, uh, and and so on and so on. So uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just thought it would be interesting 
because I also think that that having just basically Gangrel in the Mongol hordes, uh, and and they mentioned that there are um, some other, um, or at least when they when the Mongol hordes start invading, that that other clans also start embracing. But I I, I don't know it. it it feels kind of like a lost opportunity that you can't have a, a Ventry warlord running around on with this, uh, with this uh, uh, clan of of uh, uh, horse archers, for example. It, yeah, it is. It is somewhat it's, limiting. Yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, all in all, um, it, not only is this a really cool book, but I think it's also an interesting look into just how incredibly powerful the Mongols were mm. and how much they really, really messed up uh, the lands that they that they came through. Uh, I mean, they, they literally leveled Kiev and killed everyone yeah. they could get their hands on. Yeah. Um, so was it, it in Kiev where they built like a pyramid out of skulls or was that... I think it, I think it might have been. I, I yeah. know that at least uh, when people returned to Kiev and start, started rebuilding, it took them something like 10 years to clear like all the uh, the bones from uh, from the city yeah. Yeah. because there was just so many of them. But uh, it I mean, the Mongols are, are fascinating. I think it's, it's uh, something that... In involving them in your game should be more than just mentioning, oh yeah, the Mongols overrun an area. That's it. If even if you're outside of where they they uh, come to, it's going to be a big thing because you don't know that they are going to stop at uh, Prague. You don't know that they're not going to spill into uh, Central and Western Europe. So yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, now, next week, there is not going to be a side quest. We are going to be taking uh, a break from from that. And um, there's probably not going to be that many side quests over the summer because, you know, summer holiday. <laughs> uh, not only do we want to take a bit of, of, of holiday, but also we're guessing that our listeners uh, might have a lot of plans and not that much time to listen to, uh, to podcasts. We are going to continue looking at the books, but there's probably not going to be that many side quests over the, the the summer, I think. Yeah, uh, but if if we're lucky, and I think that we might be, uh, I I might be able to to uh, uh, fix um, a, a surprise for for everyone, uh, probably sometime during August or early September, uh, because uh, I I will be able to take pictures and uh, show off some some of my outfits and stuff like that. So so. Um, Keep on uh, looking on the Facebook page and perhaps uh, also on the Patreon page and, and you will uh, hopefully see something you like. Ah, that is looking, uh, or sorry, sounding amazing and I think it's going to be looking amazing. <laughs> so the next book we're going to be taking a look at will be The Ashen Thief. Uh, Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Uh, well, no, I, again, I just want to thank our, uh, all of our listeners and our patrons. Uh, I think it's really cool that you, you're with us on this journey. And if uh, and yeah, also, glad me summer to, to the people, uh, at, at, well, to everyone. Uh, it's, it's a Swedish or a Nordic holiday. But uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why we won't have a side quest. Uh, uh, yeah. Glad me yeah. summer and, and a general happy summer to everyone. Exactly. Uh, enjoy the weather if it's good where you are. Uh, it's starting to get really, really warm here in Denmark. Mm. But uh, it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye.